0: One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the dirtbag king She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much, I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey there, dirtbags. I hope you're all having a great start to your week, and I'm recording this intro on January 7th, 2021, so I don't know what kind of insane batshit things have taken place in the days since today, but I hope it hasn't been much and that you all find yourselves happy, healthy, and loved. I already recorded an intro for this podcast last week and I'm trying to stay ahead of things this year because I'm really trying to turn a new chapter in my life as far as spreading myself too thin and not letting the quality of the work I do suffer because I don't know when to say no or I don't know when to decide not to pursue some crazy idea I come up with. So I'm just trying to stay ahead of things, but I've been sitting here in my practice space trying to get some work done on some new music projects and I just can't focus and i just wanted to talk about it um yesterday a bunch of right-wing maga chuds stormed the capitol building and did whatever the fuck you call what they did they met very minimal resistance and they were urged on by some republican elected officials as well as the dumb shit fuckhead not for much longer president of the united states the maga chud mega maga chud himself now i'm disgusted i'm worried um most frustrating is how i'm not surprised at all i'm not even surprised because they were saying they were going to do this for weeks. He's been hinting it, not having a peaceful transition of power since fucking forever, since he came down that fucking escalator. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just fucked. I'm so fucking angry right now. And I got something to say, or, you know, not a whole lot, but Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here in the studio, record a bunch of useless crap all day that I'm going to delete tomorrow as soon as I listen to it. So you're going to have to hear me say some shit. I'm going to try and keep it limited. Um, I'm not a political pundit, and this isn't a political podcast in the slightest. I am an anti-fascist, and I support Black Lives Matter. I believe Black trans lives matter as well, and I support the fight in indigenous rights. I don't 100% believe in or support America or what it stands for, but I am here to call out cowardly bullshit where I see it. And whatever happened yesterday was not patriotic. And if you think you're a patriot, you're a fucking moron. I am here to call out cowardly bullshit where I see it. And I just really quickly wanted to say that if you support Donald Trump still, or if you haven't since 2016, um, I want to say you're not a fucking patriot. And. You're not a rebel, and you're not fucking interesting, uh, you're not, and you're not fighting for the little guy by any means. You're a brainwashed moron, and you're willing to risk your life in the name of a crybaby spoiled billionaire who's lost the popular vote twice now. None of what you're doing is courageous or important. Um, your little chub revolution will only be remembered for the clowns that you are, and history will look back and laugh at you. I don't believe in corporal punishment, so I won't say that I, what I think should happen to those traitors, um, but that mob of Parrothead rejects and the cowards elected to office that encouraged this, like Senators Ted Cruz and the most forgettable face in America, Josh Hawley, deserves some form of punishment, but I'm not going to say what it should be. What I will say is what it won't be, and it won't be the punishment that Fred Hampton and Mark Clark faced in Chicago for trying to feed hungry school children. It won't be the punishment that Freddie Gray got in the back of a police van in Baltimore. It won't be the type of punishment Eric Garner received for selling loose cigarettes. And it definitely won't be them being choked face down in the street for 8 minutes and 15 seconds like George Floyd. It'll probably be the type of punishment that officers Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Detective Miles Cosgrove, and Detective Brett Hankinson received for murdering an innocent woman, Breonna Taylor, in her sleep. It'll be a slap on the wrist. There's two different Americas. There's uh, two different, or two very different ideas of justice in this country. And if you don't start to understand and see what the problem is at its roots, then I don't know what to tell you. Because it's quite obviously at this point, white supremacy. It always has been. It's absolutely systemic. And we've got a fuckload of work to do still, if we're ever going to get out of it. See, existing as a trans person in America, or a person of color, takes more courage than any of those MAGA assholes or Ted Cruz or fucking Donald Trump will ever know. Now I'm gonna close this off by saying that the real revolution, the movement for black lives and black trans lives and indigenous lives and the lives of all BIPOC folks is very real. It stands for something real and important and it's not too late to be on the right side of history. Where your actions are working towards saving lives, spreading love and not hate. Now I'm not an expert on any of it by any means, I'm a straight white dude. But if you got questions of any ways you can help, or you want help figuring out ways you can help in your own way, please reach out to me and I'll and I'll we'll figure out what we can do. There's plenty of ways to get involved. I guarantee you that there's a mutual aid organization in your community that could use your help whether you choose to financially donate or donate your time. It's not too late to join a fight that makes a difference. A mutual aid group I donate to regularly and have spent a lot of time volunteering for in the past is called Bed-Stuy Strong. They're great people and they've helped thousands of people in my neighborhood affected by the pandemic. And they're doing great work every single day. You can go to bedstuystrong.com www.bedstuistrong.com to learn more about how you can help and donate. I know I've kind of fallen off since last summer when it comes to volunteering and showing up at protests, and yesterday kind of awoke something in me saying, dude, the fight's not over, you need to show the fuck up, because the MAGA chuds and all these fucking asshole fascists haven't quit. So why have you? I'm sorry for getting so intense, and if you're a new listener to the show, normally this is not how this starts. Like I said, I couldn't focus today. I wasn't getting anything done, and I felt like this is something I could say or do that might make a difference. I come from a small town in Arizona. I don't know if you know that. Uh, that's where I grew up, and a lot of people that I grew up around and helped raise me have some pretty backwards ideas of what Donald Trump is and is not. So if any of y'all are listening to this, I hope you'll think twice about everything I've had to say, and I hope you'll do a little bit of research and maybe understand that Black Lives Matter is not a terrorist organization. It's just trying to point out that black lives do, in fact, matter. And we should do whatever we can to protect them and to help them gain actual equality in this system. Now, it feels really weird to be transitioning into plugging my things after that, but my team and myself in a few weeks would be kicking myself if I didn't say something. I just put out a new song this past Friday called Laundromat. And it's a new one off of the record coming out in March. The record's called Honeysuckle Summer. And the record's kind of a culmination of a really weird couple years in which I saw myself go through a mental breakdown and a complete shift in my values and goals and having to totally figure out a new path forward for me. I think it's a really beautiful record and I'm, I'm so absolutely proud of it and everybody who played on it just did such a fucking amazing job and my buddy Joe Reinhardt did such a, he's just, he produced it and I'm just amazed at the way his brain works and how, how he took these songs that meant so much to me and made them sound the and feel the way they do and just really brought out the absolute best in them. Um, I'm so stoked about this record. If Laundromat isn't my favorite song on the record, it's tied for my favorite one on the record. Now Laundromat's about my journey to and back from rock bottom and how my unresolved trauma had me looking for something, anything, to just steady what seemed like a steady downward spiral. Sometimes it was booze, sometimes it was a person, and most of the time it was me focusing on a life on the road, running away from any sort of vulnerability to actual connection. For a long time, that was my life on the road. A lot of the new record, especially Laundromat, is about breaking from those toxic cycles by recognizing myself as a piece of the infinite and learning to love it all unconditionally. If you have a Spotify and an Apple Music account or YouTube Music account, please stream it on both or all three of them. If you want to go further and make a playlist and add Laundromat to the top two or three tracks on that list, that would mean so much to me. In this day and age, we artists are forced to chase the favor of these massive and complex algorithms. And so the best shot we have, or I have, is to get as many people as possible to help influence the algorithm. So please go to Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer, whatever it is you listen to music, and just listen to Laundromat. Most importantly, if you have Spotify, add it to your library and please follow my Spotify artist page, Charles Ellsworth. I really feel like I've started to break through a bit of a ceiling when it comes to this Spotify algorithm and how much they serve me to new people, and I just need as much momentum as possible. So please go like my page and like Laundromat, listen to it, and share it with your friends. If you've already done all that with Laundromat and some of my other songs, how about sharing it or any of my songs with your friends or followers? You can share it to your Instagram stories, that's one idea. Um, It's not super hard or time-consuming for you, and it gets my name out there more, and it might lead to extra listeners. You never know which listen might trigger or be the magic number that triggers the algorithm and puts me on the Spotify playlist that Jim James of My Morning Jacket happens to listen to. And he's like, oh, man, this Chuck guy's pretty good, and he decides like – I kind of want to start a rock and roll band with him. So he hits me up. He's like, hey, Chuck, it's Jim. And I'm like, Jim, what's up? How you been? Even though I've never met him, but, you know, you got to try and play it cool. And he's like, I want to start a rock and roll band with you. And so we do. We make a record and we win several Grammys on top of the ones that I, I'm guessing he's already won or definitely deserved or and the ones that I'm going to win someday. And you never know. All it could have been was your listener your share that helped push it that extra distance so please go out there and believe magic is all around you it's just in the forms of mega corporations who build algorithms and get your phone to fucking ruin your life (laughs) so um yeah (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, if you've already made your contributions to our all-knowing Lords over at Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, and you still feel the need to further your contribution to supporting the show and supporting my career, I suggest you check me out on Patreon. Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and check out the different tiers in which you can voluntarily contribute to the show. Pretty much you decide a dollar amount that you would be able to go without each month, and you choose to contribute it to one of the tiers on Patreon. And in exchange for supporting the show and my music, you get access to all sorts of bonus content. You'll get early access to new releases of mine, permanent merchandise discount codes, special patron-only videos, and behind-the-scenes looks at different things I'm working on, whether it's a music video or a photo shoot or recording this podcast in my cramped practice space. Um, any of those things. If you contribute $10 or more each month, you'll get your own personal shout-out right here on A Dirtbag's Guide. Like, for instance, my friend Caroline Lipsock. Caroline has been a supporter of mine for years now, and I don't really remember when she first messaged me on Facebook, and she said she liked my music, and I don't remember exactly what she said, but the way she said it, and the I can remember the exact feeling I got when she said it, and it was one of the nicest messages I've ever received from a stranger on the internet, so... She's been a huge supporter of mine for years. For a while, she owned the record for the furthest distance traveled for one of my shows in one day, and it was like six and a half hours round trip. She's also got an adorable little hedgehog named Tilly, and you can follow Tilly on Instagram at prickly underscore Tilly, P-R-I-C-K-L-Y underscore T-I-L-L-Y. Thanks so much, Caroline, for supporting my music, my dreams, and the podcast. Now, speaking of podcasts, I want to tell you a little bit about this episode of this podcast you're listening to right now, and especially about the guest we have on this week's show. I had this whole long intro written out, but then now everything actually had it recorded and everything going on. I just kind of want to jump into the conversation as quickly as possible because I feel like I've already talked up front a lot more than I normally do, which is saying something because I talk a lot normally. But what you should know about Jefferson White is he's a fucking gem. We recorded about a two, over two-hour podcast a few weeks back, and somehow my recording device just completely deleted it. As soon as I went to listen back to it, like, a little bit after the conversation, it just wasn't there. No files. No, I had no idea what happened. So I let Jeff know, and I was just like, man, I'm so sorry. I would love for you to do this again, but, like, you know, he's... And he's, he's a busy dude, He's and he's got other things going on. He doesn't want to spend all his time talking to me. And he was like, no problem, dude. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to do it again. And that was just the cherry on top. I've known Jeff for a few years now, and I never had any idea for the first few months uh, of knowing him and interacting with him and working with him on something uh, that he was as, I don't know how to put it, like his, I mean, one, I knew how talented he was just from, like, interacting and watching him work, but... I didn't know that he had been on as big of shows as he had, I, you know. And and I finally follow him on Instagram, and I'm just like, oh wow, you've got a bunch of followers. And he's and then he's like, oh, you're on that TV show with Kevin Costner. Holy shit! Like I had no idea, and it was it was really cool because it was like making friends with someone and just seeing him being like another struggling artist in Brooklyn trying to make cool shit with their friends and just having a great time doing it. And I was just like, man, this guy's also doing the same stuff I am. But he's like quote unquote made it, you know? It's it's really interesting and it's just further evidence that you know, Jeff's just a fucking solid dude. He's a gem, like I said before. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear this conversation we had. Thanks so much, Jeff, for being on the podcast, and I hope you all enjoy this. Take care. Hello. Can
1: you hear me, Charles? How you doing, man? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. I'm doing all right. How are you, Jeff? Good. How uh, yeah. how's
2: your holiday season treating you?
1: Oh, it's pretty mellow, I'd say. Um, I've been sneaking away every morning to like my practice space, trying to beat all the other musicians that are in the building, and working on recording some songs and stuff. So it's been it's been nice, kind of getting up early and just trying to be creative right out of the right out of the gate, you know.
2: Oh, that's amazing! And what time is that?
1: I mean, it's, I'm dealing with musicians, so it's not super early, you know. Like uh, I try and get <laughs> try and get there between like nine and ten, and I usually don't get dis- disturbed before noon. But sometimes I can make it till like two in the afternoon, and I don't hear anyone. It's just like if someone in one of the rooms close by starts playing drums, I can't really be recording acoustic guitar or vocals because it's just gonna ruin it all. So
2: that's so cool, man. That's like amazing to have a regular kind of clock in clock out creative practice like that 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 fucking rules
1: uh yeah i've never done it before and i've and i'm just like i'm really trying to lean into having uh more like one learning learning how to do all that because i've always paid other people to record me and so i'm trying to like develop that skill but also um just making more things like recording cover songs and just whatever, not just like, Oh, I got to sit and write a song. It's like, well, no, just like do something else, play lead guitar on this thing you're working on or whatever. And it's nice to just have those set hours to be working on something. Yeah. That's very, very cool. How about you? How have you been since you got back to Brooklyn? Last time we talked and thanks so much for talking to me again. Uh, After, after the last conversation got deleted, I felt like such an idiot
2: no man, it's great. It's fun to talk, so I'm I'm grateful for it.
1: Um cool, I, I, good. I got it. back to
2: Brooklyn like a month ago maybe. I was yeah, I think it's been about a month. It's funny, it's been a bit of a blur and I keep using the excuse that I you know, I just got back. I don't have to have my shit together. I just got back. Yeah. At this point I've been back for a fucking while, so I gotta get my shit together. Um Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean really too bad. I just been walking around a lot. You know, the like range of acceptable activities is pretty narrow at this point. So I spent a lot of time literally just walking around um, kind of mindlessly listening to podcasts just so it's like, you know, to, to as a kind of facsimile for conversation, as a kind of stand in for <laughs>
1: a social yeah. life. You know? No, I, I, I get that. That's the weird thing about, I mean, New York this whole year has been like, Oh, it's 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 still New York, but you don't get to do any of the things, really. Besides hanging out in the park this summer, that was really nice. Yeah,
2: yeah the park, yeah, it's it's still New York without most most of the good stuff. But there's some good stuff left. You know, you can walk around. There's, like, still an incredible amount of, like, energy oh, outside. Yeah. And there's always some shit to see, like, block to block as you walk around. So it's still a great walking city.
1: Agreed. I I wouldn't rather... I mean, there's no other cities, at least in the U.S., that I've spent a lot of time in that I like walking around in more because New York's just like – you just don't know what you're going to see when you turn a corner. (laughs) It could be anything. Yeah, it's fucking
2: incredible. Yeah, you can walk as far as you can in any direction, and it just keeps changing, and, yeah, it's amazing. Endlessly fascinating city to walk around.
1: Yeah, and you can hear, like, five languages that aren't English on one city block.
2: Oh yeah, so you, man, it's you, fucking amazing.
1: It's a, it's a good place. I do love this city, even when I, even this time of year when the days are really short and it can be, you know, extra depressing. I, I got to remind myself how much it's just like, I don't know. I, I do really love this city a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. It's especially now that the fucking. For some reason, the hardest thing for me is, like, the march towards the solstice, towards the 21st. And as soon mm-hmm. as the days are getting even just, like, a minute longer every day, that's, like, a huge psychological balm for me. Just, like, no, <laughs> okay, every day is now a minute longer than the day before. I, I love that shit.
1: Yeah, totally. That That's, uh, I mean, that, that's something that I noticed this year Um I try to, because this time of year is, you know, usually rough for a lot of people. I mean, you know, I've always had a rough time kind of slipping into like a depression spiral, say early November, and then who knows when I pull out of it, it could be March. Um, And this year, it was just like, as soon as I felt the days starting to get shorter, I was like, I got into my routine of like, I wake up, I do my yoga in the morning and like try and exercise X amount of days a week and just like really being on top of it and being productive in the studio and it's, and it's really made a difference and I'm really happy about it.
2: That's fucking incredible, man. Yeah. There's like, so there's so much shit you can't control, but everybody says that like a huge, a huge like uh weapon to combat depression is like routine like that. Even when, even when it doesn't feel necessarily sort of mm-hmm. good in the moment, like sort of finding that routine and that structure is, supposed to be so so good for you so that, that that rules man good job
1: yeah thank you no it's it's been feeling really good and even the mornings that like i have I just filmed a video for my patrons on patreon and like uh part of it was like every morning when i'm doing this or when i'm like before i start my yoga i'm like maybe i'm not going to do it this morning you know i'm just drinking yeah. coffee and i'm like <laughs> yeah you know maybe i just won't do it this morning and then Before I know it, I'm like in the middle of a yoga session and I'm like, it feels like it's just a, it's finally routine and I just love that. Yeah, Um, that's
2: fucking beautiful, man. That rolls.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping I can keep it going. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, do you have any specific routines? We're kind of like, we'll jump back towards the beginning of, uh, you know, your life and whatnot. But do you have any, anything specific that you like try and do in the mornings or, trying uh that that you've seen help help you with depression or anything like that
2: i'm I'm trying to sort of my problem is you know once those habits fall off like rebuilding them is really hard you know like it feels like it's so much a function of like making yourself kind of faking it until you make it and kind of pushing through the sort of malaise so right now i'm having a hard time you know structuring my morning so i'm like fucking sleeping in later and later and i'm just kind of lying around feeling like shit so I want to get, I want to find, I, I, I'm usually pretty good at making myself exercise, but if I don't have anything to do in a day, then usually I'll exercise, you know, I'll exercise at the last possible minute. Like I'll exercise uh-huh. at like fucking three or 4 p.m. And I ought to just get up and make myself do it. That But I, you know how it is. There's all this shit that I sh- I know I should do. There's yeah. all this shit that I like know makes me feel better. And like n- I know <laughs> is good for me. And like making myself do it is a whole nother you know, it's a whole other conversation.
1: Totally. It's the, it's the thing I, I noticed when I, is like, it's, it's all the things that my, like my stepdad always told me to do all along was, you know, he's like, well, you probably feel better and sleep better if you exercise more, you know, like, or maybe you should drink yeah. less alcohol, you know, all these things, this man that I've looked up to like most of my life and who I have just like his fitness and his ability to just like kind of just be embodied has always been really impressive to me. Um, and I just like never t- – I'm like, yeah, screw you. I'm going to party all night and then try and be ha- be happy or wake up early. And it's just like doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work. And then you start doing all the things like making your bed every morning and you're like, oh, I, I feel better. And it's like, yeah, because you, you're, you're doing the things that everyone's been telling you to do. You're just, you just have to finally accept it yourself or, like, figure out how to get into that routine.
2: Yeah, it's like when I, we all know what's fucking good for us. We all know what's bad for us. It's just making yourself do it. And I think, you know, sometimes it just has to be the right time in your life. Like, sometimes you just have to cross some threshold and all of a sudden you're less resistant to it or something. Like, it, it, you know, it's hard to force it. It's hard to, like, but, you know, yeah, it's hard but necessary sometimes to just fucking throw yourself into motion and pray that, it, you know, you, you land on something, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, it's a... Uh... It's definitely a um, – it's not, not easy. It's a uh, – like my fitness came back – like I, I was like active in high school and whatnot and then just all of my 20s didn't do anything. And then it came back around the time I started like slowly cutting alcohol out of my life and I just found myself with all this free time because I wasn't ever hung over and I wasn't drinking all evening. And so you just like have all this free time, but you're – but I'm also like prone to depression or spiraling out just on like – weird thought trains and or trains of thought or whatnot and and being like well maybe if i did yoga or do this thing it'll like stop and it just like all started like helping and it's um, huh. but i never would have you know i spent so much time just being like i don't need to exercise through that i did that in high school that was for jocks you know <laughs> yeah 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 and it's i don't know it's just funny how it like it became almost necessary for me to not lose my mind or like get even more depressed just because I had so much time just being like, well, what do I do now? Yeah, fucking
2: a, so man. yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, it's, it's so good that you're. It's like working, you know. Like, what a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, habits tend to, I guess, compound. I guess, and it's, uh, um, but they're so fucking hard to start.
2: Yeah. So. Once you have one, though, once you get that tent pole, you know, like once you have that anchor. If you can make yourself do one fucking thing every day, you can build off that structure.
1: Yeah, no, totally, and it's uh, and it they they all kind of support each other. I like the word tent pole because they kind of like it. It can kind of spread out from the the center of that said pole, you know, and it it can slowly kind of turn into like a, I don't know, a a, a great solid routine or at least it has for me. It, it's taken years though. Like I'm I'm talking yeah. like two and a half three years of like trying really hard, doing really well for a month and then like not not seeing my yoga mat for 3 weeks and then being like, well, this is where you build habits is by bringing yourself back into it. And, yeah,
2: starting back over. Yeah.
1: And that's I think that's really like how it becomes a lot stronger. Um, you know, if anyone listening's worried or <laughs> trying trying to, you know, this will come out in January. So anyone's, you know, battling with their uh their new year's resolutions or haven't quite made one yet. It's like, just know that the, the one habit can lead to a lot more, I guess. And, Hmm. and you're human. So like, that's the most important part. Yoga is such a humbling way to start my day every morning to remember like, yeah, I can't bend certain ways (laughs) as much as I'd like to, like there's certain things I can't do because I'm a human being. Um, And I think that's a really nice way to start the day personally. Mm. Um so let's let's kind of take it a little bit more to the the beginning though. Where you're originally from Iowa?
2: Yeah, I'm from a a tiny little town called Mount Vernon in eastern Iowa, which has a population of about four thousand people. Um it's a really cute little town surrounded by farms and cornfields. Um yeah, I grew up there, and then I went to college at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, which is like a big state school with like thirty thousand students. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New York in like two thousand and thirteen.
1: Nice, nice. Um, and growing up, where you know, I know we discussed a lot of this stuff a few weeks ago, but uh, this is all freshly new to the, um, the the listeners. So hopefully, hopefully, you can bear with my same questions.
3: No, <laughs> um, <laughs> of course,
2: man.
1: Um the what so what did your parents do again? I I actually forgot that.
2: Yeah, my mom's a public librarian
1: oh, at yeah, a yeah.
2: tiny little uh public library in Lisbon, Iowa, which is like population be 1500. And then my dad is a philosophy professor at a very small liberal arts college uh in my hometown called Cornell College. Um, and they've done that my whole life. My we, my parents moved to Mount Vernon because, you know, getting a fucking job with a Ph.D. in philosophy is uh, difficult. <laughs> so my, my dad got a job at this college, and they moved to Mount Vernon. They relocated for it, and then they've been there for 30 years, 31 years
1: now. Oh, wow. Cool. That's uh, – um, where are they originally from?
2: They're both from Virginia. Uh, my mom's from sort of rural – uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, Virginia, and my dad's from Norfolk, and they okay. met at uh, college, yeah.
1: Oh, cool. Cool. Do you spend much time, like, growing up going back to Virginia?
2: Yeah, my my grandmother, my, my both of my parents' parents, when I was growing up, still lived in Virginia, so we were back and forth quite often, and my grandmother, my mom's, or my dad's mom, still lives in Norfolk. I think she's, like, 93, maybe, oh, wow. um, so we make it back usually once or twice a year. Wow,
1: that's uh that's awesome. That's really uh that's 93, that's a that's a hell of a life. That's impressive. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I it's I incredible. don't think anyone in my la- in my family makes it past 85. Um I mean you know,
2: 85 that's a that's a great long life, you know?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally. I'm not I'm not saying it's like like it's a bad thing, but it's still just like you start getting in the 90s, I'm just like holy smokes. That is that's impressive. Like a hundred years old. But I, I, I hope your, your grandma can hit the century if she's, you know, obviously healthy and it's not, you know, painful. But that would be, can you imagine living triple digits?
2: Fucking unbelievable. Yeah, wild,
1: crazy shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of ta- tangenting, but uh, going on a tangent. But what? Can I? Uh, um, like, I'm, I'm very interested, and I don't know how much we talked about this before, but. I was thinking today about around seventh grade is when sixth, seventh grade is when the Genesis for me happened. And I kind of like discovered like classic rock and punk rock around the same time. And, and kind of got off like the top 40 thing. And it was like really influential for me around that time, 12, 13 years old to, to kind of like where the branches started to how I can, I can see like, Oh, this is kind of how I got here as a musician living in Brooklyn Mm. all the way from small town, Arizona. I can kind of see that Genesis starting. And and I'm wondering, like, when did, did that start with you for acting? Did you uh, did you start really young? Did you, were you watching movies, being like, hey, I want to do that someday? Or what well, what did that look like? I started the
2: first acting I did was my mom at her library at the Lisbon Public Library would do these puppet shows for kids, and I, I would do these puppet shows with her. And then, honestly, man, it's one of these funny things where I just feel like, you know, I would do little plays in school and stuff, and people would tell me that I was good at it. And if you tell a kid they're good at something, they, like, invest more and more energy into it and sort of start to identify as that thing. So I really – it's kind of a funny self-fulfilling prophecy where I just feel like from an early age, people were like, yeah, this is great at this. And it was like a kind of – you know, it was like a sort of encouraged way to, like, seek attention in some way. Like, uh-huh. it was a way in which I could sort of have attention but not feel guilty about it. Um totally. And then my mom, my mom was big into theater, and she, she, like, writes plays and works with the community theater in Mount Vernon. Um, and so from a young age, we would go and see plays. We would go to these, like, Shakespeare festivals. We would sort of go to, to plays a lot from a young age. So I think pretty early on, I, I really got excited about the, the whole kind of about theater specifically – and I always sort of expected to, to work in theater. That was kind of my trajectory that just mm-hmm. took a sort of strong uh, left turn at some point um, after I moved to New York. But even, you know, up up until moving to New York and my first, you know, year here, I was really expecting to spend all my time working in theater. You know, that was kind of initially what I fell in love with.
1: Oh, okay. Is that pretty, is that pretty typical as far as actors go? Like the majority of them start wanting... To mainly do theater, and then, you know, sometimes it's just like that's just where the career path goes—is to, to doing movies and television, or is it? Is there are there two different camps where it's like, no, I, I mainly want to do film and television, and you know, is it, I I don't know. Do you would you have a, yeah. an answer to that if that's like m- more common?
2: Yeah, my experience is that it really depends on where you're from. So, like if you grow up on the coast and, you know, a lot of actors are from New York, a lot of actors are from LA one way or another. Um, and, and and in those places, television and film feels accessible. So I think people like are more interested in it from a younger age because it feels like possible and feels like an actual sort of avenue of exploration. Whereas where I'm from, it was just, it's completely inaccessible, you know, like you watch movies, you watch TV, but the idea of participating in them is so, so abstract and feels so kind of remote. And theater is something that is everywhere. Like theater is incredible in that way. Like every fucking town, every County in Iowa has a community theater. Every fucking elementary school, middle school, high school, has a drama club does theater. Um, So theater is like, I think most people's pathway into the performing arts on some level Mm-hmm. Unless of course, you know, and as as many many folks working in the film and television industry grow up with relatives in the film and television industry, they grow up sort of adjacent to it, so I imagine that those people, maybe their initial sort of curiosity or the initial spark comes from film and television but for for folks like you or I from the midwest or from places where film and television seems like a really distant dream, uh theater is much much more accessible, so it's a lot of people's i think first love.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about that, especially because now in the age of social media and whatnot with like YouTube, it's it's much more common for kids to be like, I want to be an influencer. I want to be a YouTuber or I want to stream video games on Twitch. And, you know, like, which obviously is not film and television, but it's like there's. But it's for
2: sure film and television adjacent. Like even TikTok, yeah. there's this like, I mean, like TikTok, these kids are like, you're editing videos, you're making media, you're like producing media in a way that I think does have a kind of more direct correlation to sort of traditional film and television structures. So I, I yeah, I would be really interested to see if this whole, if, if that, if my experience is what somebody growing up now experience experiences, and I bet it isn't because yeah, now the sort of accessibility of media is media is much more sort of accessible and available. It's kind of democratized in an incredible way. Whereas when I was growing up, you know, even, like, a camcorder, like, you know, like, nobody even had, like, a fucking camcorder. Nobody even had, you know, any of that shit. So the idea of being in a movie, appearing on a screen
1: was really,
2: really abstract, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. I remember, like, my parents had a camcorder, and um, it was, like, off-limits. Do not touch this thing. Like, if you touch this, you're grounded. you will cut your hands yeah. off, you know? And, uh, yeah. And then uh, I remember when my, my mom married my stepdad, he had, like, a newer, nicer one. And uh, so I – and this is, like, when I start skateboarding. And so I got – I was just, like, can I have the old one? And, I, you know, and it was just – it was game over, you know, and, like, not just making, like – Little skateboard videos, or like a video of me like throwing my skateboard across the lawn, and then like playing around with like rewind and and like fast forward and things like that, all through like editing with like two VHSs. Um Man, VHS yeah, players or VCRs, that's what they're called, yeah. And I'm like editing it that way, and I and then I remember me and my friends like making little like wannabe Saturday Night Live sketches, and it and that was when I was like, oh, I want to, I want to make film. You know, like I never, because I never participated in acting or in 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 theater whatsoever. So like in in junior high and high school, I couldn't be drama club because it was when football and baseball were happening. Yeah. And so, but uh, yeah, no, that's really interesting because it that's when the possibility popped into my head of like being a filmmaker was when I had access to a camera. And now kids just that's like my little my. Best friend's daughter, and just like as soon as she looks at my phone, she wants to open the camera and start taking pictures.
2: And then people make incredible shit, you know, like people on TikTok make incredible, like, are changing oh, yeah. the way that, like, it sort of trickles up from TikTok into mainstream comedy, but there's like a sensibility and aesthetic that is, like, distinct to these new media platforms that fucking is, like, incredible and hilarious and strange and, like, like completely innovative that kids who are like fucking thirteen are participating in and sort of inventing in real time, it's so cool.
1: Yeah, totally. I'm I'm such a. It's like what you 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 mentioned earlier. If you tell a kid that they're good at something, they're going to invest more time and effort into that thing. And I'm sure, there's obviously so many toxic bad things about social media. You know, not to just like gloss over them, but like that's that is a way that. I don't know. Creativity is, could just be like such a, just an everyday part of a kid's life without them even realizing that that's like, like a kid trying to make, like make memes is, is like, they're learning graphic design. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's wild. You and I are of that in between um, generation where like, I I don't know, I was kind of on MSN messenger and like kind of came up with social media. But when I was like a kid, kid, we didn't have a computer like if if we did it was it didn't do m- much and yeah. i don't know it's an it's an interesting time to to watch how that how that's grown
2: it's incredible yeah it's very i mean it's it's sort of best of times worst of times cuz yeah there are obviously all this this fucked up shit about it and like what it means for the sort of dissemination of art is like fascinating And how Mm -hmm. it sort of simultaneously empowers independent artists by providing them with this platform, but also like squeezes the profit margins of sort of distribution for independent artists. It's like a very strange, yeah, double-edged sword or whatever the expression is.
1: Yeah, I think it's also still just kind of being figured out, you know, as far as... Yeah,
2: it's being invented in real time, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, like, we're just watching it happen because, you know, streaming laws, as they're written, don't – they don't make a ton of sense except for the people that helped write them, which are, like, major labels, at least as far as, you know, streaming music. I don't know much beyond that. But it, it they kind of sold a lot of independent artists under the bus. Not kind of. They did sold – like, threw us all under the bus and, or sold us down the river, whatever expression you want to use. Um And, but now I think it's like there's starting to be pushback with like smaller services or like band camps starting to gain some success. And like, I, you know, I mean, Spotify has been only been a thing for 15 years ish. Uh, You know, like if that, like it's still all being figured out. So I think hopefully, you know, if I'm going to be an optimist today, I'm going to say that eventually, like, those profit margins will be figured out to where like people are, are. getting paid a little more fairly for the work they're doing for the (laughs) the art they're creating
2: yeah that's very optimistic generally speaking the gears of capitalism uh go in the other direction and the the sort of value created by those artists is more and more efficiently sucked up by the uh the machine that you know through which their work is uh strained
1: yeah no you're you're very right about that and and Nine days out of ten I'm I'm a pessimist. Not a pessimist, I'm a realist <laughs> about it. But today I'm gonna try and be I'm gonna try and believe that like yeah. capitalism will cease to be a thing under Joe Biden.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah. Our fucking grandpa Joe, who we love, <laughs> we've loved from the beginning. Oh He's, yeah. Uh, I did not
1: talk shit about yeah. Joe Biden a year ago at all.
2: Never once. Our hero <laughs> the hero we'd need, you know?
1: The, the one we've always been waiting for.
2: Yeah, progressive savior Joe
1: Biden. <laughs> oh man. That's that's uh well, you know, we can hope. But um what something that, you know, it's a little off subject but not really. There's a a podcast I listen to a whole lot called Behind the Bastards and it's usually about all the worst people in all of history, but during the holidays he'll do a person who's like a like a good person like did like john brown you know like morally questionable but like on the right side of a very brutal history and uh this year he did mr Makhno, which is like who was like a ukrainian anarchist during the uh the russian um civil war very very brutal insane time and uh but at some point his like i found really interesting his um like anarchists like rebels like kind of took over a big chunk of ukraine and they they were like had it kind of under control for a while and like were able to build like their ideal society for i don't know it was like a matter of months, but in that time they had community theater and it was like fucking rad, and everybody loved it like all day long they're teaching people about redistribu redistribution of wealth and like you know teaching peasants about all sorts of things they didn't they never had the opportunity to learn anything about but at night they're having community theater and i'm just like oh that's it's just like it's just a human thing to be like uh, that's how you enjoy enjoy yourself or how you come together and create it was, i don't know it's like a really beautiful interesting thing to learn Yeah, that is
2: incredible yeah i mean theater huge part of sort of culture and uh
1: community forever
2: you know since uh, since the beginning of culture and community
1: yeah, and it's also like that proof that like oh no matter how much time goes by or how advanced we get as humans, like humans are just the, the same. You know, we're we're still the same dumb animals, but also trying for something like we're still the same. Like can be really brutal and awful, but also really trying to create some form of beauty, which is I don't know, pretty pretty nice way to look at human history if you can,
3: if you can, <laughs> if you yeah, can look yeah. past
1: all the brutality. Yeah. Um. So when you get to Iowa State, was it you said? Yeah. Um. When you get to Iowa State, what what did that look like? Did you like when you graduated high school, were you like, I'm gonna go for acting? You just kind of knew as a as a kid that's kind of what you always wanted to do, or as you start, no, you know? I I, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No. No. Yeah. I mean, I was I was really sort of uh hesitant to like um to, to pursue acting professionally I, like i knew i liked acting but i i went to college initially expecting to major in advertising because that seemed to me like something that would be sort of creative but also like professionally viable and uh-huh. i think also you know it's it, it acting acting for money is like a fucking you know it's a pipe dream like it's I think I knew at a you know at a young age that it was a not necessarily a viable or responsible choice you know and I felt some pressure to um to make a more responsible choice so I initially went to college for advertising at Iowa State and then you know very quickly learned that like the only thing I really liked doing was acting and that sort of forced my hand a little bit you know
1: totally yeah that's uh, that's a lot of people that get into acting or music or whatnot are like, well, eventually I realized I just, I wasn't going to do anything else, you know? And so even if as bad as acting got or as hard as it was, it's all I wanted to do. Is that kind of like you hit that point at at some point?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just sort of accepted, you know, you just accept, I guess, that you'll never make any money. You know, you kind of, your priorities shift a little. I think my priority when I went to college was like, I guess, seeking stability or seeking like some type of some type of constancy or like a, I don't know what you know a professional stability I guess. And then I my my priorities reorganized as I like kind of was staring down the barrel of how what that was going to look like in practice you know
1: yeah totally is it and by that do you mean i don't want to just put my thoughts you know project my thoughts onto you at that age but like for me it was uh very much like is like i'd almost rather like i, I don't even know how to put it i'm gonna I work these, these jobs to get by, you know, I'm, I'm like working retail for minimum wage in college just cause it's the only job I could get that worked around my college schedule. And, you know, like, just like, I'm just going to be struggling and no matter what, or it, I don't, I don't even know how to put it. It was just like, I would rather be struggling like this and working these, these mindless jobs so I can be focusing on doing the thing that I want to do than like doing some bullshit thing so I could maybe retire at some point in the future or you know get two weeks a year to go hang out on my boat. Um yeah <laughs> was yeah, was it kind I of that you're more, just like yeah. you're like adult adulthood is gonna suck either way, so why not just be doing the thing I want to do?
2: Yeah, and you you know you sign up for that when you're like nineteen or twenty or whatever, you know, you say like I I
1: choose
2: the sort of more fun, more romantic more sort of uh difficult trajectory
1: Mm -hmm. and then
2: you know you spend the rest of your life living with that decision (laughs) on some level when you're 20 you yeah you have the bottomless well of energy that is like yeah i will work i'll work my support job and then i'll go home and make my art or i'll work my you know two support jobs and then i'll go and make my art on the side and when you're 20 that doesn't sound like too bad a deal and then, you know, every 10 years from then on, I imagine you're you're faced with a sort of reevaluation, you know?
1: Yeah, totally, 100%. I think, um, I, yeah, my, my first tour being like, oh, man, we're just, like, eating gas station food and sleeping in the van, and, like, and then I'm, like, in my 30s, I'm like, I'm eating gas station food and sleeping in my car. This is <laughs> not fun, man. And, yeah, like, having you got, to... You know, yeah. yeah. between 19 and 33 you're like a lot of things change um and uh but it's it's nice to know at least for me personally that like the passion for the art and the craft is like all it has been the constant like that's never wavered and it's just been like my ability or willingness to put up with the bullshit that comes along with it or or, you know, the being being broke or struggling or sleeping in the van eating gas station food. Um the, the passion and the love for the craft has never changed.
2: Yeah, you, you sort of the balance shifts, you know, like it's all on a spectrum of suffering to um, you know, creative purity or whatever. And I think as you get older, like you you learn more and more what you're like more specifically sort of what you need from your creative life and what you don't need from your creative life. And then you learn more and more like what you need to sort of survive and what you don't need to survive. And so that, that balance sort of, you're making micro adjustments to that balance as you go, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. It's all about uh, Mark Duplass. I heard him talk about it. Maybe it was in a book him and his brother wrote. I can't remember. Uh, but he talks about soul points. Like, you know, it's it's like, if this job is going to be enough, it's like me and my brother making a movie with some of our friends. Yeah, we might not make a ton of money because it's like a low budget movie, but it's going to be so much fucking fun. It doesn't matter. And then there's also like, I'm going to, I got offered this job that's going to keep me away from my family for three months and it's going to be brutal hours, but it pays this much money. Is it worth it? You know, like kind of that balance of like, you know, even if you are making, you know, like it'd be, you know, even if you are making a bunch of money at it uh, or have the potential to still realizing that it's like, yeah, but there's like only so much of the like bullshit that you want to put up with.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That balance I think is what we all sort of will spend our whole lives sort of trying to navigate.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's like, I, my goal is looking back, you know, hopefully at the end of the life, if you have that opportunity to kind of look back on it and being like, I kind of played by my rules and it wasn't always smooth sailing, but you know, I, I, it was a pretty good time, you know, and I didn't hurt anyone along the way. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Hell yeah, man.
3: Um,
1: the, the, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, um, I mean, I, I got all sorts of things I want to ask you, but, uh, this specifically, do you remember the first time you got paid to act?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a puppet show with my mom. We were uh, we did like a festival. I don't know what the fuck. It was like a puppet festival, and we got a hundred bucks to do this puppet show for kids. And I remember getting fifty bucks and being like, "Holy fucking shit! This is yeah. a staggering amount of money.
1: Uh-huh. This is it.
2: <laughs> you know, I remember Yeah. That. Jazz about it, man.
1: Dude, that's so cool. When you were doing those puppet shows, about how old were you? I forgot to ask.
2: I mean, I was like 10 or something. You know, I was like, yeah, like 10 or 12, I think, at that point.
1: Oh, man. 50 bucks to a 12 year old is so much money.
2: Jesus Christ. Yeah, just kind of inconceivable, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I remember around that same time, like around 12, 13, I was, we had a family friend that owned a plumbing business. And like I I need I wanted money because I wanted to like do things I think mean, I wanted to buy a guitar but uh, and he he paid me I think it was like four fifty an hour or five dollars an hour to like clean up his job sites and I was like it was like summertime I'm like wait so if I worked forty hours in a week I could have two hundred dollars <laughs> What like, oh my god I'm gonna be the yeah, richest man. kid in school <laughs> yeah it's so funny that. Uh, I don't know. Perspective is an important thing to keep in mind, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 200 bucks ain't much money, but it's a fuckload to a 12-year-old.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I started, like, I was, like, delivering papers, and when I was, you know, 13 or 14, I was, like, working at a grocery store and washing dishes at a restaurant, and then, like, those first paychecks were also just, like, fucking staggering. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs>
1: unreal. Oh, man, that's uh So you, you were working a lot as a kid as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I had just, like, little jobs around town. counter. I grew up in a really small town, so I worked at, like, a restaurant in our town, and I worked at the grocery store in our town. I had a paper route for a while, and I oh, yeah. I did that, like, all through high school, just, like, various little, you know, like, a few shifts a week.
1: Mm-hmm. And then in high school, would, so it's, like, yeah, you know, I'm picturing kind of similar to mine, probably a little smaller than my town, but did everyone, like think you were going to go and be an actor or I know you went to school for advertising, but was it was a did like, was that what you were known for or was it a little bit lower, more low key?
2: Yeah, I would say a little more low key. I would do that. I was like in the school plays and stuff. I was doing all the school plays, but the like imagining, you know, the, the, it, it's, it's, there's not really a sort of precedent or a kind of path to follow from there to here. Mm. So it was a real sort of abstraction, and it's not really what I expected to be doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't really anticipate um, this sort of trajectory either. So no, I don't think anybody imagined this.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That's uh, I think that shame. You know, if you you, I mean, it's like I played in bands back in the day, but um, you know, I don't think people think I'd still be trying to get them to come to my shows 15 years later.
2: Yeah. And when you're from those, I mean, you're supposed to, at some point you're supposed to just fucking like, I think very reasonably, you're supposed to just like get a real job, you know, like you're supposed to like, like everyone I know from growing up, a lot of them have very fucking cool, interesting jobs, but they're like much more sort of traditional modes of employment. You know what I mean? Like they're much more sort of traditional, like uh, trajectories and then yeah. like, you know, owning a home and having some kids. And like, there's a lot of shit that this lifestyle, there's a lot of ways in which this lifestyle sort of diverges from the kind of, uh, you know, the middle American status quo. Um, and, and that has just been the case. You know, my life has really diverged from my friends and schoolmates in a in hundred ways sort of necessitated by, by this job.
1: Totally, that that makes perfect sense, and um, and that's the same as I've like, got so many friends doing like such rad things that are like within like very more traditional things, but also still doing like very niche um, specialist stuff. That you're like, man, I don't even know how someone begins to do that. I got a video of my friend J- Jesse Baker, like jumping out of a helicopter and tackling like a bighorn sheep, and uh, <laughs> oh shit. And like, um, yeah, he like tackled his big horn sheep and then like, because uh, they're doing like, he works for Game and Fish in Arizona and he like, they're doing a study on big horn sheep. So he had to like tackle it and like check the tag or something like that because there's, I don't know, you know, it's, you know, it was just like, and it turned out like my buddy Josh Copeland was flying the helicopter. And I was like, whoa, what the, I haven't <laughs> talked to these guys in so long. And it was just like, that's so rad. That's so cool. And, you know, and I- I know,
2: I wish I could say that like, yeah, we've got the interesting jobs. And our friends from growing up, they're all just fucking punching the clock. But I feel like in most cases, those guys have fucking way more interesting jobs than we do.
1: Oh, yeah. Their they're day-to-day – it's like when I'm on tour, my life can be kind of like – it's really fun. And, it's, and it's, it's definitely not spectacular by any means. But it, that's when it's – that's why I'm, I'm a musician is because I love yeah, the travel. Yeah, that's
2: the sexiest version.
1: Yeah, totally. This is, like, I mean, all this year I've been sitting in my bedroom, like, working on little videos or or writing songs. Like, I haven't really left my bedroom that much in a year, like, or yeah. since 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 lockdown first started. You know, my life as a musician isn't that exciting, but when I'm on tour, it can be. But their day to day is sometimes way more. Like, my buddy Dave works at this place called Arizona, where like you can just drive around and see all these bears and wolves and whatnot, and he's just like, oh like i i don't i don't know if he's a vet or whatnot but he just has all these videos on his instagram of him just like hanging out with bear cubs and like whatnot like i don't know i'm just like dude you have the job that every single kid that's ever been on a field trip to your work has thought like i want that guy's job
2: yeah what a dream that's like a job you make up as a kid that you want to do in the future bear scientist you know yeah fucking cool Bear scientist. Oh, you know what man, I mean? That's always. like video game tester. Like it's like yeah, one of these jobs sure. like kids, kids want to do.
1: I got to get Dave on the podcast. I didn't even think of that. I'm like, oh man, that would be such a good interview.
2: That um, guy's going to have much more interesting shit to talk about than I do.
1: That I mean, I think I think you've got some very interesting stuff to talk about as well. Well, I'm sure we could get to that. But I mean, you don't play with bear cubs like every week. so
2: I did actually. Um, I did on Yellowstone. I worked with a bear. Oh really? This is actually here's my bear story. So we were shooting these bear sequences where this bear chases me up a tree, but we Mm -hmm. were shooting them in like December, when the bear it was a fucking huge grizzly bear and he he was a trained bear, but he also it was like hibernation season for him, so he was just like fucking out of it and like no matter what they did, they could not get him excited to chase me up this tree. So what they ended up doing was literally stuffing my pockets with chicken what the um, fuck? and yeah they they stuffed my pockets with like shredded chicken, and that was the only way they could get him to sort of half heartedly run at me
1: okay, so and then <laughs> and you're you're thinking like what if he doesn't stop you're yeah, I mean I stop. had me rigged
2: up I was rigged up to this um like wire pulley system. To like help me ch- climb up this tree very quickly because uh-huh. I was supposed to sort of scramble up a tree that what you know wasn't actually scrambleable. So uh-huh. I, there were these two guys whose job it basically was to like haul me up the tree so the bear could never catch me. But it was oh it was God. pretty intense. Once you got that's... you know once you smelled the chicken and got going, it got it got pretty real.
1: Dude, that's, I haven't gotten. I started Yellowstone since we last talked. Um, Oh cool! And, but, but I haven't gotten that far. So, um, but I'm excited to see that scene because that's <laughs> that's awesome, dude. That's a that's a wild wild thing to experience. I can't imagine. Yeah, that was
2: my one bear my one bear experience.
1: Because bears are so fucking big. Like a dude, grizzly, I can't. So big. I haven't even been like close to one. I remember being a kid and I I got the opportunity to go on a salmon fishing trip in Alaska when I was a kid. And it was, it was amazing. And I, I remember we're in this speedboat going down this like rushing river and there's a grizzly out on the shore just running alongside of us just as fast as the, as the boats going. And I asked the, the captain, our guide, like, how fast are you going? He's like, oh, about 30 miles an hour. I was like, what the fuck? Like, that thing the size shit. of a truck is just, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it was so big, too. I Have you have you seen it, gotten to interact with any bison?
2: Yeah, man, we've done, yeah, BIA on the show, yeah.
1: Oh, man, I we were on tour once and we were driving through West Yellowstone, actually, there in Montana, and uh, it, was, it was the middle of the winter, middle of the night, we're driving from, like, a show in Colorado to get to something like the next like afternoon in Montana. And at some point, like my, my, uh, tour manager, Mark slams on the brakes. I'm in the front seat with him, but I was like dozing off and I look up and there's a bison just like right there in front of, like, if we'd have kept going, we'd have just hit it broadside and we're in, oh, we're in like God. a 15 passenger van. And this thing's back is as tall as like, like where my head was, it seemed like there in the van, I was just like, this that's like the that's so fucking big.
3: It, Dude, it was they're like, so
1: fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And then those things can jump over like a like they say like a six foot fence with like from without a running start. They're
2: incredible, man. They're like as tall as horses, but like so fucking thick. Like they're just so
1: like
2: they're like squares. They're like walking squares. They're <laughs> yeah. fucking incredible, man.
1: Yeah, it's that's. I didn't even think about that aspect of because I like, guess I've been watching Yellowstone. Um, I mean, it's 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 really cool and it's shot in like my favorite part of the country. Is like obviously it's you know just Montana, Wyoming, like that area is just perfect, it's it's heaven. And I didn't even think about like the wildlife aspect, or um, I haven't seen enough of the show, but it must have been a like oh, you, you're. I, I'm like speechless thinking about the bear scene. (laughs) It was unreal,
2: man. It was very funny.
1: When you So um, I want to go back at some point, but right now I'm wondering when you find out about that scene, how do you find out about that scene? Like are you, what season does this happen in? It's season one. It's like episode eight, I think maybe. Okay. I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Um, And so this is a new, new newish job for you when this scene happens.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's the first season, so it's, like, three years ago at this point.
1: So, you, um, okay, so you get, like, tell me about how, like, you get a, do you get a script uh, ahead of time. Do you get the full season, like, before you start shooting? Like, how do you find out about the scene where you're like, I'm going to be dealing with a live bear?
2: You sort of, you get the scripts as it goes, right? So you start shooting, and you've got the scripts for maybe the first two or three episodes, and then once every couple of weeks, you get a new script, and you, like, obsessively – scramble to read you know like flip through it and look for your own name because you don't know what the fuck's going to happen to you right like it's a very oh, weird yeah. situation where the writers kind of you know on a show like this it's a very sort of actiony show any episode you could die any episode you could like you know have a limb broken or some shit and especially mm-hmm. my character is kind of this running joke that all this terrible sort of shit happens to him. <laughs> yeah. So Half the time I'm like reading through a script and I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, I fall off a horse. A fucking bear chases me up a tree. There's like, a, you know, we're like doctoring cattle. There's like all sorts of like, you know, it's like reading a comic book about yourself kind of. So you're like scrambling through it to see what the fuck happens to you. It's a very strange experience. So, yeah, I read that on the page. And, I mean, the flip side of it is, though, that, like, on a show like this, it's like a big-budget show, like, they cannot afford to have anything bad happen to anyone. Like, yeah. it's very important. They, they take everybody's sort of health and well-being very, very, very seriously. So I never really feel... You never really feel like you're in danger. They're very good at, like, faking it and creating the circumstances that sort of keep you safe, but create the appearance of danger. But there is a bunch of shit where you read it and you're like, how the fuck? (laughs) Like, yeah, it's wild.
1: Dude, that's, that's really cool. I, and I hadn't even thought about, um, like, you know, you, you, uh, there's even the jokes about like in the show friends where Joey pisses off the writers or something. And then they, they write him into like a coma or something. And so, like, I hadn't even thought about that, that, like, when, as you're learning about the season, you don't even know, like, like I might not have, I might not be on the show again next year or whatever because you don't know exactly
3: what's
1: happening. And so you don't 100%. find out yeah. about that sort of thing. So you, you find out about, potentially you find out about your character's death not and, like, not having a job anymore, potentially not through your agent, you just, because you just read it in the script?
2: I mean, it's a funny it's a funny phenomenon, and everybody handles it differently because this happens on shows, right? If you're on yeah, one, totally. of these, one of these shows, characters die, and there's, like, a little bit of, like, a sort of good-taste protocol, you know? You're supposed to tell somebody that they're, you know, you're supposed to give someone a call and say, hey, you know, thank you so much for your time with us. Uh, you know, this is it, you know, here you're, you're going to read this script, and you're going to read that you die, and you know, it's thank you so much, we're going to make it really good, you know, it's going to be a really good send-off, but you know, they don't have to fucking do that, and yeah. every script you read, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen, so I've had a number of times, I've had a number of like um, cliffhangers with my character, who's always getting into like hijinks, I've had a number of cliffhangers where I read it you know, the script ends with me lying, you know, motionless on the ground, and uh-huh. I literally don't know if I'm dead or not. Like, I, I don't oh, fucking it. – it's a cliffhanger for me, too. So I'll just start calling everyone I know who works on the show and being like, hey, do I have a job? Like, am I – where are we at here? <laughs> it's a very strange phenomenon. And it just creates this, you know, it's obviously champagne problems, but it creates this, like, constant anxiety around, around – Everything, you know, it creates this constant feeling of uncertainty. Like this is, we've done, I've done four seasons of Yellowstone, Mm -hmm. which is the longest I've ever worked on a job. Might be the longest I ever work on a job in my life is the closest thing to like stable, consistent employment that I've ever had and maybe will ever have. And still every day I feel uncertain if I still have a job or not, you know, like still, no matter how many times, you, you know, it's still impossible to relax. And that's probably me projecting, you know. It's also me, like, refusing to sort of relax and refusing to, like, trust anything. But yeah. it, it's hard to get out of that. You know how it is. It's hard to get out of that sort of scarcity mindset and out of the kind of mindset of, like, constant fear and uncertainty that a career in the arts represents.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, especially if you come from a very. You know, traditional background or area where, where the steady paycheck is the point. Like that's why you choose a career is for the steady paycheck, and it's like, and people look like at you like you're an insane person if you're like, like if you if you didn't choose the steady paycheck and and but it's and it's like yeah, the, that anxiety comes along with it and it's a and um, yeah, I I don't I don't know for you but yeah, it's nonstop for me.
2: A hundred percent, man. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents have had the same job for 30 years.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. My mom just got to retire and, uh, and, Oh, and that's she, amazing. She still has like several side hustles she does to like help pay the bills, but she just doesn't like go work for someone else anymore.
2: <laughs> that's incredible.
1: Yeah. Which I'm so stoked for her. It's been a l- very long time coming, but it's also like, yeah, they, I mean, they were hoping. It, like, I don't know. They thought they they'll. I don't know. They they thought they'd be working every day until the day they died. And there's a you know, if anything happens, there's a chance that they might be at some point. You know, and so
2: yeah, God knows we will. You know, like
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's the thing is like, well, I I know that at the very least, I've seen some old bartenders, some pretty old bartenders, and I got a lot of friends that own bars, so. You know, like if I, at the very least, I can try and, you know, hope hope my arms still work and I can pour some drinks for some people.
2: That's the um, fucking Lully, man. I mean, it, we might all just be in Amazon warehouses at that point. Looking 50, you know, looking 50 years down the road, it's hard to imagine that we don't all just work in, if the world isn't just a single gigantic Amazon warehouse and we just sort of hand packages to each other
1: uh, in a kind of infinite loop. And it just creates this sort of like new strange Amazon Bitcoin for Bezos, and he just becomes more powerful with his friend Elon Musk on Mars.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. That's all it is. Yeah. That's exactly
1: what's going to happen in 50 years. It's like, was it Cinecdoke, New York, The, the the Charlie Kaufman film? yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's like that, but Amazon warehouses, which would be even yeah. even more difficult to watch and more depressing,
2: <laughs> yeah, even more nightmarish,
1: <laughs> man, uh, so speak i the the anxiety of like being written off of a show or like out of work is gotta be um like that's got to play into like a lot of um like imposter syndrome, I imagine, like, or like, like what is your relationship with imposter syndrome, I guess. And does the anxiety around, you know, whether or not, like this could be the longest job you've ever had or you will ever have Yellowstone, like, like, do those play with each other or are they, their own, are they their own separate sources of anxiety?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're both sources of anxiety for sure. Like, it's funny because there's kind of like two factors. One of them is like, yeah, the the more sort of opportunities I get, the more kind of incredibly lucky I feel. And the sort of further it departs from like any sort of logic, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've, I've just been very, 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 very fortunate, but I know a million fucking actors who are better than me and who haven't had these kind of opportunities. And that sort of has two effects. Like it creates this kind of imposter syndrome sort of survivor's guilt thing where it's like, why the fuck am I here when I've seen people, I've seen sort of incredible actors, like the artists, the the actors who I admire most in the world not get these opportunities. But the Mm -hmm. other thing is the the sort of, the better the opportunities I get, the more I like look around at the people around me and I'm like, oh, you, you fuckers, you're great, but you're no better than like my friends. You know, like, Working with, you know, famous people or incredibly talented actors, they're great. They're amazing. But so it also, like, dispels a little bit of the myth around the whole thing. Like, Mm -hmm. working with celebrities also kind of helps dispel the myth or, like, the sort of mystery or magic that surrounds these people and makes it in that way seem more accessible, you know? Like, I've I've very rarely encountered another actor on a set who was any better than my friends, you know, performances I've seen my friends do in plays that nobody saw. Um, and so it, it, there's kind of, you know, a number of factors intersecting there. So I, I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome. I feel a little bit of, like, a, why am I here? But most of the time I can look around and be like, oh, why are any of us here? you know like totally
1: 100% <laughs> nobody
2: here is like some kind of magical special perfect creature that's infallible in some way like being there being on those sets kind of dispels some of that
1: myth you know totally well and that's... I think that is kind of the um the, that is the uh I don't I don't know how to put it but um I think that's really a really important thing to look around and notice on your way. I don't know if you want to say on your way up or on your way, like while you are in entertainment or whatnot is like, yeah, you're, I don't know, keep that perspective in to in mind. Like and I'm struggling to put it together, but like my, my buddy Joe Reinhardt, who produced my new record that'll be coming out in a few months. Um, Like when I met him, it was like at a show, like a sold out show that his band was playing and he, they had just put on like a just this brilliant performance and I'm just like blown away by it. And I, I meet him briefly. And in, and in, in my mind, he's like this, this rock star and he, I mean, he still is, but I start working with him on the record about a year later. Cause you know, after we meet that night later on, we decide to work together. And I made a joke about him being a rock star. And he's like, dude, one man's rock star is another man struggling to put together a living. Like, you know, like, or he's like, we're all just, we're all just musicians. Dude. Like, and I, I don't know if I'm, I'm saying it exactly like he did, but it was essentially just like, you know, man, I I don't know, I just play guitar too, and happen to have be in a band that people really like. <laughs> I'm just still just a dude, and uh, I don't know. But have you had anyone specifically like just be like, yeah, we're all just fucking people?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you you learn that really quickly, you know, and it, I think it really also dispels. I hate to say it, but it dispels some of, like, the myth of the meritocracy. I think when I first got into those spaces, I was like, okay, I I will be surrounded only by the best actors because only the best actors could possibly, you know, sort of earn these opportunities. And the, the sort of thing you realize very quickly is like, no, it's really not about that. It's really, like, it, it's pure fucking chaos. Like, a job that I get over a hundred other people, if I get it, it's not because I'm the best actor. It's because of, like a sort of multitude of factors that intersect, many of which are pure luck or sort of right place, right time, providence. And I think that that like, yeah, that, that helps kind of break down those. um, Hopefully it helps sort of break down any of the kind of self judgment or like fear or like sort of imposter syndrome that we feel because yeah, those people aren't any fucking better than us. They're not any more talented or sort of, guild or whatever than we are, there's just a sort of, there's a degree of sort of luck and chaos that uh, that kind of spits them out higher on the hierarchical pyramid. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, man. It's just like a little bit like, uh, yeah, everybody's just a person. Everybody, even these artists who we admire so much, are totally fallible, are there for reasons that like 60% of are, are just luck. And hopefully Mm -hmm. that makes the whole thing less intimidating and more accessible. But I, in, on my worst days, it also makes it just infinitely frustrating because it's like, fuck, I know so many geniuses. I know so many incredibly sort of talented actors and there's nothing, there is no like recipe. There is no like hustle that can account for just the pure sort of luck that, that, uh, results in some of these opportunities, you know? Yeah. Luck and, totally. you know, nepotism, like luck and then like factors utterly beyond our control.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's like, and I, I imagine though, once you get like one job, the next one can, you know, theoretically become easier or, you, you, you know, someone sees like, oh, he did, you know, you, you, your body of work starts to speak for itself, I imagine. But, the, yeah, there's the, the extent
2: n- to which you just you just become like a sort of known quantity and like dependable in that sense, like half the time, especially for t v they're just trying to hire somebody who's not gonna like make their jobs harder or fuck anything up, and if yeah. you've worked a certain number of other jobs, it's a pretty safe bet that you're not gonna like you know go crazy, and that's half of it, like if you're gonna show up at your call time that's like fucking 40% of the job, you know?
3: So the more
2: sort of work you do, you create the perception of dependability around yourself, and that's like half
1: the battle, you know? Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And I think that's an important thing, especially if there's any younger listeners to keep in mind, is like how far not being a pain in someone's ass can get you in life. Oh, it's It's everything.
2: I I joke all, you know, it's like you said about how, You know, your musician's lifestyle involves a lot of, like, sitting in your apartment fucking around, like, just, you know, the unglamorous shit. Like, half of the actor's life is, 90% of the actor's life is being on location in a hotel somewhere and just not going crazy. Like, if you don't go crazy, if you don't, you know, hurt yourself in your hotel room when you're alone in Santa Fe, New Mexico for fucking five months, (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. that'll that'll get you pretty far.
1: Yeah. No, that it's uh that's I I love the whole pulling the the veil back a little bit or you know like because there there's something really to that because a lot of people can't just sit in their room for seven they might be great actors but they can't sit in a hotel room for five months in Santa Fe without causing problems.
2: I mean I barely can I'm a pretty co like I'm a pretty steady, even guy, but like Mm -hmm. the circumstances are bizarre. Like it's a bizarre lifestyle that like unmoors you from everything that you sort of, all the people you love, all the structures in your life and just drops you in the middle of nowhere for months at a time. And that's like very destabilizing, you know? And so like not going crazy sounds, I thought it was easy, but I've had, I've gone a little crazy, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, we started at the the top of the show talking about like the the good habits I've gained in the past two and a half years, but that that all stems from me like straight up having a, a full on mental breakdown in the middle of a tour and being like, if I'm gonna keep doing this music thing, like you got to get your shit together. Like you you got to approach this in a whole different way because this isn't gonna work. Um, you know, I, I did go crazy. So like, and it's a whole different thing. But you know, if you, are you know, living out of your car for three and a half months and slowly, slowly just kind of disconnecting from whatever reality you were at once a part of, is yeah, yeah, totally. That I get it. It's a. But I'm
2: so. I mean, that's amazing to hear because now you know, on the other side of that, having had that experience and sort of. Being able to kind of structure your life and like sort of take care of yourself that's a that's a beautiful thing man so that's something really to i mean i and you know you don't need me to tell you, but that's something to be so fucking proud of 'cause it's it's very hard it's like deceptively difficult to keep yourself well in this in this world you know
1: no i you're you're right i i very much appreciate it I'm very proud of myself, and I think it it became one of those things where like and i mentioned earlier the, the passion and the love for the craft and for music has been the constant and in that moment of like that hitting that crossroads it was like okay if you can keep doing the music thing but you got to change almost everything else or you can mm-hmm. keep doing everything else and you just got to give up the music yeah um, you know, and, and that, I, I'm, I'm super glad I hit that crossroads and I'm really happy with the decision I made, but yeah, it was, I, if a lot, like I could have very easily not realized where I was at and just kept going down whatever road I was at. And that's how a lot of people die or burn out really young or, you know, it's, uh, any number yeah. of things could have happened. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm really happy with where it is, but it's a, yeah, it's a. It's not easy. It's There's so much involved in a creative career and uh, with the anxiety of not knowing what your future is going to look like or how bad, it, you know, all you get told is like how Hollywood or whatever will chew you up and spit you back out. Like you don't know how it's going to be. And how how do you or what have you done to start dealing or helping with, you know, the mental health aspect of being in such a volatile industry?
2: I mean, I think it is, it really harkens back to what we were talking about at the beginning and and what you sort of identified, which is like finding these habits, these sort of healthy structures in your life that are independent of your creative life and your professional life. Like you can do yoga wherever you are, whether you have a job or not, whether you're in a fucking hotel or in your apartment or like, you know, on a mat outside your van, like, shit that you can take with you that is utterly independent of all this other bullshit you know because like stuff that's like purely within your control because so much being an actor so much is out of your control like mm-hmm. your life is you know i i you just audition for everything the ones you get you do as long as you can do them but you have no control you make very few choices you know right. um and so building sort of behaviors or structures or like habits that are within your control, I think really helps maintain perspective and maintain like a sense of self that is independent of somebody else's experience of you, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. That, I, I really, uh, I like that. I really appreciate that too, because I think so much of life is, you know, whether you want to call it the yin and the yang or the push and the pull, it's the like, what's, partially my favorite part about being a musician or a creative lifestyle is the chaos i really love a lot of the chaos but in order for the chaos to not completely consume me and everything i love i've got to have some sort of control over a good portion of it and that's uh and and there there is like a i'm sure there's some sort of harmony there but it's the the whole point is the struggle between the two
2: absolutely yeah sort of yeah finding finding sort of healthy balance so that the chaos can exist in a way in a healthy way you know and then can sort of be contextualized yeah you, you have to take care of yourself so that you can sort of explore that chaos yeah totally. <laughs> you know? yeah and, I mean, otherwise too. you're you're sort of living in a very dangerous sort of imbalanced situation i think often
1: yeah and that, and chaos out of chaos some, well like the thing is is something's going to eventually have to give you know if you don't yeah. have control over certain things at some point it's like i like to think of it m- mental health in some ways it's it's almost like like a mechanical device every single time you use that mechanical device it gets worn down a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit and you have to service it or it's like changing the oil in your car like um you, um, it's all about recognizing that those things will wear down over time and knowing what you can do to bring them back or to repair them or to slow down that attrition. Mm. Um, have you, uh, I'm try, trying to think of the that small, so you were you moved to New York, you said in 2013. Yeah. Um, and so between, between when you moved here and you landed that first, your first job, um, what, what were you doing? What was going on? Where, what, if you remember what's going through your mind, a lot of, is there a lot of doubt? Are you still pretty like starry eyed and just excited and then something cool happens? Like what, what, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, I came here. So in between Iowa state. I and New York. I did a, an apprenticeship program at a theater in Kentucky for 9 months at Actor's Theater of Louisville. And I met a bunch of people there who were sort of in my cohort in that apprentice program who I then moved to the city with. So when I moved to the city, I moved to the city with with three friends in a four-bedroom apartment. Um and that was sort of huge. Like that kind of gate like living with my friends in this big scary new place really made everything a lot fucking easier. And I got a job at a restaurant because one of our friends, one of our other friends had gotten this job at this restaurant, so he got me in the door there. Um, And I just kind of settled in, honestly sort of settled in for the long haul. I think that, you know, if if you're in an arts education, like hopefully they sort of prepare you for how kind of fickle and difficult and frustrating it's going to be. So I really, you know, I was ready to wait. I was sort of ready to be patient and sort of, uh, put in put in years before I really saw any returns on the, the big move to New York. And, and I was just, like, excited to make my own stuff with my friends. Like, these were friends who are – and still are friends who are, like, really, really brilliant collaborators. And I, I was really just kind of excited to make theater with my friends,
3: mm-hmm. which is kind
2: of why I moved to the city in the first place. And then I just honestly got really, really, really fucking lucky – And my first audition in the city was for the Americans, the FX show, the the sort of Cold War FX show. Uh And I just happened to to book my my first audition, which was not (laughs) what I was expecting or what I was sort of, you know, it's not what's supposed to happen. Like, I was really kind of settled in for the long haul. And then I just, honestly, it was just like a really right place, right time, compounding with like a lot of luck. And I I just got it, you know? Um, Yeah. That's, and then it that's really insane. Is, yeah. It's I just fucking really forgot you had they said that. Yeah, they were looking for like they were kind of just looking for me and like my first two TV jobs it was like both of those jobs they needed like a sort of young impressionable naive sort of dumbass from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that was kind of me. You know, I had just moved to New York from Iowa effectively and yeah. you know this my, So I, I did The Americans, I did two episodes of that, and then it, this is just incredible, it's like how, it's just to express, like, how chaotic and sort of not merit-based all of this is, because it really is, like, it's really, like, I think it's important to, when you are lucky, still recognize, like, that it's not because, you know, I, I just got really fucking lucky, so I did The Americans, and then literally... Um, The director of the next episode of The Americans was watching scenes from my episode to prepare for his episode, and he saw me in them, and he happened to be working on his next project, which was a show that needed a character whose name was Iowa, like whose nickname was Iowa. So. It just so happened that basically me, having moved from Iowa to New York City within a few months, was like in front of this guy who was looking for an impressionable, naive young soldier from Iowa. Um, wow. So I just kind of really stumbled into like tremendous fortune. And then it is one of these things where like every job you get creates the appearance of legitimacy every job you get creates these sort of appearance and perception of like dependability and legitimacy around you. So each job is each neck, each subsequent job is a little easier because they say, Oh, well, these two fuckers hired him. So we might as well, like, you know, he'll probably be fine. Like a lot of times they're making decisions, you know, they've got 10 people who would be great at the part. They've got 10 people who did amazing on auditions who would effectively do a good job. And they just go like, let's hire the guy that's worked the most because you know, everybody else thought he'd be fine. Like it really is like, it's a dependability thing. And just like, especially for like network TV stuff, you you don't need to be an all-star. You don't need to be an incredible actor. There's 150 people that can do it just fine. And they just want somebody who's going to show up on the day and like do a fine job and not make anybody's job any harder. So after those first couple of jobs, I just kind of kept, you know, guest starring on TV shows and stumbling along Yeah, and now I'm here, you know, sort of, I I think of my career as built on a foundation of like profound luck and good fortune, and then just like dependability, you know, I I sort of, I'm a pretty quiet, uh, nice, unassuming guy, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, if you hire me, I'm not going to make your life any harder, I'm going to do a fine job. And I'm relatively pleasant to be around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of it, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I got to give you more, more credit than that. Not that I, I don't know if I'm the authority to give you more credit than that. But I think also the ability to have your career trajectory work out that way and not become a pompous asshole just thinking you deserved it all along deserves a lot of credit. Um, well, you I know, think like... what's
2: so important is, like, you, you just being surrounded by my friends who are fucking incredible. Like, my favorite theater performance I've ever seen, my friend Ben Vigas, like, some of my favorite scripts I've ever read, my friend Connor Eifler, like, my friend Casey Worthington. Like, I'm just surrounded by brilliant artists, mm-hmm. and that is, like, sort of constant ego check. You know what I mean? Like Totally. It's easy to lose perspective when you get these opportunities unless you're sort of constantly in sort of collaboration with and in conversation with friends like mine who are just fucking brilliant, who are just geniuses, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Everyone, that's like how I met you is through Casey, and I think Casey's uh, phenomenal. Uh, I think I worked with the other two guys on that that little sketch that that I helped that I deep people yeah, yeah yeah and so all yeah just, no like
2: my friends are just so fucking good that it's like you can't trick yourself into thinking you're something different you know like you can't fall into that ego trap when you're my whole community is just and and like that's new york like in new york there are yeah. so many fucking incredibly talented actors musicians comedians writers illustrators photographers just fucking walking around. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's
2: just like literally like throw a stone in Brooklyn and you're going to hit a fucking genius. Like, and it keeps you, it, it's really sort of, it, it helps you maintain perspective, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's uh that's really important. I think the the company you keep is also really important in that. And, uh, um, I think it's really rad that you still, you know, you've got these big jobs and, and, you know, you're a, a I mean, you've done four seasons of, like, a huge network TV show. Like, that's that's fucking huge. And you're still – you collaborate with your friends on a regular basis when you can. And um, I don't know. I think that's, that's really cool. And I think I, I had a great time working on that, uh, the sketch with you guys. I mean, that was years ago at this point. But I, don't know, I, I had no idea that you were – you had had the size of jobs that you had when I met you and had worked with you, I had known you for a while before I was like, oh shit, he's like on like, like Yellowstone. That's like a big fucking TV show. You know what I mean? I had no idea. Um, so I don't know, you you deserve some credit for that. You you are, you're very down to earth and I, and I very much appreciate that. Angela, like what I've seen of you is you're a great actor. So you should definitely give yourself some credit there. I, and I get what you're saying. Like there's plenty of people that could do it, but you're the one that's doing it. So that that's pretty fucking rad too.
2: Oh, thanks, man.
1: Um, are you working on anything, like collaborating with any of your friends right now on anything specific? Or um, any, any projects in the works or passion projects that you, you're you hoping to get around to or that you're willing to talk about at this point?
2: Oh, man, I wish. I mean, I I feel like my creative life is really shut down. I mostly make comedy, and right now I just feel really, every time I sit down to try to write, Um, You know, the the well is a little dry. And I also, like, I make comedy in part because I'm surrounded by fucking hilarious people. And the way that the pandemic has kind of made it harder to spend time with my friends and my community has really kind of slowed down my creative output. But I got a bunch of friends who are making incredible shit. So my friend Grace Palmer um, wrote and produced a, a pilot last year a self produced pilot in LA called Spiralling that's that's really brilliant that's gonna be on the internet soon. My friend Ben, who I just mentioned is in a, a theater company called Piehole that has a, a show coming out as part of the public theaters um the public theaters uh what's the festival called very cool festival that public theater does. The the show is called Disclaimer and it, it's really brilliant. You know so so my friends are always making really, really cool stuff. Um and then we shot we shot the fourth season of Yellowstone wrapped in November. I'm working on a show now, uh, um, a CBS, or maybe CBS All Access show called um, The Second Wave that's like a sort of dramedy about a fictionalized pandemic, a sort of, um, it's kind of a, you know, ripped from the headlines, fictionalized, Mm -hmm. dark dramedy. Uh, So I'm working on that now. And I'm just, you know, I'm really just trying not to go crazy. You know, I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm really just trying to get through it. Like, it's such a strange time to be a an actor because I don't I I don't want to trick myself at all. Like, we're not fucking essential. Like, I really like any delusions of grandeur we have about being essential are completely dispelled by this thing. So, I'm mostly trying to like be the least sort of drain on society that I can be, so we can get mm-hmm. through this fucking thing. So we can get back to like the frivolity that television is you know
1: yeah i'm i'm trying to i can totally um relate like i i I miss touring and playing shows to mostly empty rooms like i miss that so much and i'm trying to stay like stay as like good as possible as far as like not spreading anything because i want to get back to that also because i don't want i want people to stop dying and you know like i want the pandemic to fucking end but like i'm just like Man, all I can do right now is to just try and do my best so I can get back to doing what I love, and that's. Well, it's fabulous. amazing that
2: you're making work right now, man. That's incredible. Like, I'm so like it's a, I'm I'm so inspired by and impressed by that ability to like put yourself into technical practice and like sort of commit to like a creative structure like that. Like that that's a real that's something to really sort of celebrate. I hope so I hope you're you're yeah celebrating that.
1: I, dude, I really appreciate that, and I'm trying to. What, like, what's what's funny is just to, like put I I don't know about funny, but like, so I went into the studio to make my my new record. Um, it'll honeysuckle summer will be out on March fifth. Um, <laughs> uh, gotta plug it real quick. But oh, we went yeah. in, went in to make it, and like day three in the studio is when like everything shut down. We were in Philadelphia, and it just shut down, and we were like, this, our producer Joe was like you know, I I could send you guys all home, but we're all kind of, like, in a bubble, like, you want to just finish this record, and we're like, fuck yeah, we want to finish the record, so we did that, and it turned out amazing, and I'm fucking stoked about it, but since then, my like, I haven't been able to tour at all this year, I don't, like, I, I have no idea what the future of live music looks like, and that's how I make the majority of, like, what little money I do make as a musician, and so I'm trying to, like, um, and my, my the way I've looked at this this whole time is, like, focusing my efforts into ta- taking that effort from the road and putting it into online. So, you know, building a Patreon and, like, eventually building a YouTube channel and making music videos and, you know, just whatever I can do with myself here in my bedroom because I don't know if touring is going to be able to happen again. And at some point, unemployment is going to run out. So... You know, it's like I gotta gotta figure this out in the interim. My feet are. That's amazing. The fire. I mean, it's
2: amazing that you can shift that energy towards work that's available to you rather than just fucking
1: imploding.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that, that that's very cool, man. I,
1: I appreciate that, and I I don't I think it's really more of uh I have like twelve irons in the fire at any given time, and it's just like, oh, this is a nice opportunity to switch gears and work on something I never have as much time as I would like to for it. Or I'm trying to look at it that way because, you know, because stop the spiral before it starts. Your friend, like I wrote down Grace's Grace Palmer, you said, in spiraling the thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I wrote that down because I was like, just by the title, I'm like, I'm probably going to enjoy that. (laughs) Because (laughs) my whole theme is like catch the spiral or try and stop it early before it turns into anything, you know, worse than it it needs to be.
3: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Um. I wanted to ask you, and I know I asked you this last time, but if my mom's listening, she's going to be wondering, because she's a huge fan, what's it like working with Kevin Costner?
2: He's great, man. He's really good. He he is one of those, like, magical people, I guess. He's one of those people that's like, oh, yeah, this. I understand why you're famous. Because he, like, he can do the technical shit and the sort of chaos shit at the same time. Like, he's so good at, like, Hitting a mark and following the like technical parameters of a scene that mm-hmm. are like necessary to make it work, but also sort of being so alive and present, and those two things are often I, I are very hard to reconcile. Um, so yeah, he he is pretty magical, and he and he's just a really fucking good guy too, which I think is you know talk about someone who has every kind of you know like like if you're going to be an asshole. He could get away with being an asshole. Like Yeah, and with no that reason. career,
1: you could totally be an asshole.
2: <laughs> you could be an asshole and you could still work for the rest of your life. He could, you know, he could he could treat people however he wanted to, and he treats people so kindly and generously. He, he's amazing.
1: That's that's really cool. It's good to hear. I always love hearing, you know, good things about people like that because you, cause you never know, you know. You never know what they're going to be like, and he always seemed like he kind of had a pretty – decent head on his shoulders I don't know I think he jumps at least watching Yellowstone he definitely just jumps off the screen he's he just it's like yep that's him you know the same dude I was watching in the 90s doing all kind of yeah. kinds of things like he's still still got it so that's, he's got that's, really yeah. incredible
2: gravity yeah I don't know how he does it
1: that's that's cool to hear um, I don't want to take too much of your time because we already uh, already had, kind of had this conversation for like two hours <laughs> and lost it all and I feel like this one's scary. better this one's better I think this one is a, a lot less rambling for me, if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> any, anyone yeah, listening? I made up
2: for it with my rambling. Yeah, please, <laughs> uh, that's, rambling. yeah,
1: That's why we love having, or that's the point of having you on, it's for you to ramble. Um, and <laughs> I kind of want to maybe wrap it up with uh, asking if you had any advice for anyone who might want to get into acting or someone who's dealing with Imposter syndrome, like any anything you just kind of want to put out there into the universe or into the, the, the creative community that you think might be beneficial.
3: Um,
2: I guess just in line with some of the stuff we've been talking about, I, I guess I, I I would encourage people who are struggling, who are who are feeling sort of frustrated, to. Um, to take some of the pressure off themselves to always be producing or to be sort of meeting other people's parameters for creative success. Like I really think that, um, other people's evaluations of you don't fucking matter. Like no one else can tell you you're not an actor. No one else can tell you how good an actor you are. And also just like being an actor doesn't need to, um, to dominate your experience of yourself either. Like, I just hope you give yourself credit for the shit that you're good at. You're, you know, I hope you give yourself credit for the ways that you sort of support yourself and your friends and your community. And I think that all of that, your sort of participation in your community and in the world at large is as meaningful a contribution as anybody's fucking acting career is, you know, I think like the gifts that you give to the people close to you, are much more meaningful than, you know, any sort of job or acting opportunity is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, you know, I hope you can celebrate that shit. I hope you can celebrate yourself and hold on to your worth as an artist and as a person. Because it's yours, you know, no one can take it away from you. No one can... uh... Nobody else's evaluation of your work, whether or not somebody else gives you a job determines your value as an artist or as a person, you know? So I hope that that, that you can hold on to that. And I, I say that, of course, and fail to do that all the fucking time. I, like, say that, and, of course, every time I don't get a job that I want, I feel crushed and feel like I'm a bad actor and sort of question every decision I've ever made. So that's just like, it's something to aspire to. And then to also be gracious with yourself when you inevitably trip on the path towards, you know, holding your own self-worth in your hands.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I, I love that answer. And that's, and that advice, I think it's so, it's so valuable to like one in all of it. Like what, is for like we mentioned earlier, you're human, so like this thing that you're trying to do, you're gonna forget to do it, but then being kind of yourself enough to get back to it.
2: Yeah. yeah, and that's you know that's the thing with like building resilient habits too. Like you're gonna fail at anything you set out to do. You will. You know, (laughs) all of this shit is aspirational. Like it's aspirational. It's an idea. Like all of this shit is an idea and you will fail to do it. And just be gracious with yourself when you fail to do it and recognize that while you will always fail, there also is no such thing as failure. And like (laughs) those things, those two like sort of contradictory things are true. Like you'll always be failing and
1: there also is no such thing as failure, you know? Dude, totally, 100%. You'll always, you'll always be fail, failing, and that's, uh, and it doesn't have to be a like viewed as a bad thing because it's all like, it's it's all about constantly learning. It's all about that, that evolution, and the only way that evolution in the self can happen is is by being like by failing and giving yourself enough credit to get back up again and try it again. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Dude, that's I, I love it. I love the conversation. Thank you so much for for uh, doing this again with me. And Jeff, I, I really hope that this all ends and we can and buy you dinner sometime. We can just have a conversation, not over the phone. And
2: oh man, you know, I'm so looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I would love to collaborate on something again in the future if uh, if the stars align and we're able to be in a space together again.
2: <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It's gonna fucking rule, man.
1: It it really is. You take care of yourself, and maybe I'll run into you just on one of our walks around Brooklyn.
2: You too, brother. Talk to you soon, man. You take care. Bye. Bye.